Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk. Hey, this is Kenny Hustle and I'm down to dunk. I'm Darius Baisley and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala and I'm down to dunk. This is Poku and I'm down to dunk. I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Cracklin Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these. I'm going to share with my team, but I'm a hog most. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Go to theathletic.com slash down to dunk and get the athletic for a dollar a month for six months. It's basically free. You should do that today. Do that right now with me, as always, on Wednesdays, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's up, Andrew? Jake Aaron in the chat started us off with more like Teo Maladont. <laughs> Uh, if you were to bet $300 today, a a decent amount, an amount that would at least hurt you just a little bit, what would you, would you say that it would tail, is tail going to be on the team next year or not? Okay. So like on the one hand today, we're going to talk a little bit about Poku and Bayes, two guys who earlier in the season, I was close to, I, I basically gave up on both of them <laughs> at least at least for one episode of for a sure. podcast yeah yeah definitely um so you know i don't want to make the same mistake again mm-hmm. and so i'm going to be a little bit more hesitant but i think we can all acknowledge teo has been terrible <laughs> like consistently consistently awful and yes he's had some good he's had a few good games this season mm-hmm. mixed in there where we get a little excited. But, yeah. you know, the only thing that's uh, making me feel like I, I could bet that he won't be on the team is just because of the roster crunch thing. Yeah. Because it didn't, it felt like there was still going to be room for him last year, no matter what. Plus, like, we actually felt pretty good about him during this kind of stretch in the season. Yeah. Yeah. Although, if you go back and look at the stats, it's not actually that good. But at the time, because he was getting more playing time, Shea wasn't in there. Yeah. Like, you could talk yourself into, like, he's a rookie, like, even though the stats don't look great, like, he's doing a lot of things on the court, whereas this year, like, both the eye test and looking at the stats, like, it's been very, very rough. It's ugly. It's definitely like, ugly. Very rough. It and de- he still has, like, the problem with him is, mm-hmm. like, similar to Poku, like, when Poku was at his worst, he still had his flash plays. Mm-hmm. But Poku's flash plays are, like, special. They get they get you excited. It's because he's seven feet. He's yeah, and whereas Teo's a normal sized person. Teo, like to his credit, I, I was rewatching the Charlotte game. Like he had he hit a couple of nice like 
like what what do you call them? I was about to say throw ahead passes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hit ahead. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Couldn't think of the word. That looked nice. Yeah. He's not a bad. Like like he's a. I think as a Euro League player, he's a good player. Yeah, like like he has flashes. They're just muted compared to someone like Poku, yeah. and so you don't like hold on to them as strongly mm-hmm. as you do for a player like Poku. But yeah, it's uh it's been rough for Teo, no doubt about it. <laughs> Will he be on the team next year? I mean, he's probably got a better chance than some of the guys like at the end of the roster. Yeah, yeah, him or Lindy, a better chance of being on the roster next year. Pr- probably Teo. Okay, that's probably yeah. right. Teos feels like somebody that needs to go get a lot of experience in Europe, and then maybe he could come back when he's like 28, and he's yeah. just like a solid player that can hit a spot up three and handle if you need him to, you know, kind of guy. Yeah, it, it also just, I mean, he's clearly not, like last year, he was given the keys to the offense <laughs> like, during this time. Like, who else was there? He was like, it was he and Poku, was, man. It was yeah, the Teo so, Poku show. And that was probably better for him because obviously he projected. I mean, we're talking about him as like, okay, this is your backup point guard of the future. Mm-hmm. Going to come in. He's steady. He's he he can run an offense. He gets a little bit of that those opportunities now, but it, it is not like the main part of his game. Like most yeah. of the time, he's being played as an off ball player. Right. I mean, he he was in the starting lineup with Shea. Uh huh. So like, he's not getting the ball there most of the no. time. He still has opportunities, obviously, but it's. Yeah, he, I, I feel like he would do better somewhere where they actually want him to be a point guard. Yeah. I mean, he played 31 minutes in that game, and I remember maybe two minutes of those 31. Yeah. It's been <laughs> it's been rough. It's been rough. Uh, Although, as we'll get to, yeah, it was, art, it was way rougher for Poku in comparison. In comparison, earlier this season, because we're going to do some comparison oh, early season. Yeah, for Poku. There, yes. Poku you, hit some marks early in this season that are like, like not NBA player caliber. Yeah, yeah, scary numbers. Where yeah, it's like did they yeah. just what 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 all did they waste to get Poku? <laughs> some of the <laughs> right. thoughts that you start having. Uh, yeah, a lot of this will depend on how many guys they take in this draft too, and where they select in the draft and who they get, you know, I think that then you're going to have to make some decisions. And the Thunder are in this spot where even if, obviously we want them to move up or we want them to stay at four or wherever they're going to be. But yeah. that's a chance they move back. And there's there's some interesting options. I, I posed this question yesterday, but I'm going to add a little bit to it. If you had the chance, let's say the Thunder were deciding between A.J. Griffin, Keegan Murray, and Jalen Duran at the spot that they're at, is there any of those three that you would prefer today? So this is like they fall to six. Like, yeah, we'll they're say, like, we'll, we'll say we'll say that Shaden Sharp isn't an option. Yeah, let's say that they fall to six and Shaden goes five. Yeah. Um. Ah. <sighs> I'm Jalen Duran is interesting. Yeah. And I like him. Yeah. And and I see the the upside with him and I shouldn't be worrying about fit at this point. But I can't help but worry a little bit about fit. Mm-hmm. Unless unless he he eventually does develop a shot and maybe some people are confident that he will eventually 
develop a shot. But you look at his shot chart and it's just like red hot around mm-hmm. the basket. Oh yeah. Which is fine because we've talked about how nice it would be to have a like high level play finisher on this team. Yeah. Like it's not just about shooting. Mm-hmm. But I still am worried about the shooting on this team. Mm-hmm. Keegan Murray, what do you think about him? Because you know I'm biased. I I, I don't like old guys. <laughs> this high, this high. He's old. That's what it is. He's old. He's and I know that that's a terrible argument because people are well. well there's plenty of examples you can give. Uh, how how old is he currently? Is he he's is tw- he still tw- going to be 21? He's 21. He will be. I think before he starts. In the he'll be twenty two by the time he's a rookie in yeah. the NBA, and, and we've gone through this before. But the the list of guys who are successful taken in the lottery at that age, there are uh, there are examples, mm-hmm. but they're almost all point guards. It's like CJ and Dame. Yeah, I think Kemba is one. Yep. Um. So there are examples, but it tends to be smaller guards. Mm-hmm. So that that would scare me a little bit if you're taking him at like six. Yeah. It's just it's hard to ignore how good he's been, you know. I, I feel like it's it's gone too far though. Like I see people talking about taking him over Bancaro now, <laughs> which I'm not even the biggest Bancaro fan. But like it, like w- what do you think Paolo would be doing two years from now at Duke? It's it's a good question. He would probably be destroying the league in two years. Yeah. Where and Keegan, like to his credit, has been probably the best player in college basketball. Like one of the best players in college basketball. He's shooting the ball like crazy. He's twenty three and a half points per game, eight point six rebounds, one point five assists, two blocks, over a steal a game. And I mean, you can, as a Thunder fan watching him, you can see, like, oh my goodness, like he would fit with this team really well. He would. With this current iteration of the team, if you had Shea, Giddy, Dort, Murray, whoever at center, Baisley at center, like it's like, oh wow, okay, like you can see it because he's a, he's a real shooter, a real one. He can shoot it from deep. He can catch it off of a. He can catch it on the move, like coming off a screen and hit. He can actually get some off the dribble too. He can attack a closeout. He's not the greatest athlete, which would like hilariously fit this group. However, I just, I don't know that I see Sam taking somebody that high. That's that old either. Yeah. And especially, you know, if you've listened to enough draft podcasts at this point, when people are being honest and not just trying to like get clicks on their podcast, like most people like aren't in love with this draft. In fact, like they don't like after a certain point, they really feel like the difference between whatever number and like forty yeah, isn't that big of a range. You and hit that you're like kind nine of just, or ten, and you're like, I don't know. Like that. And so taking yeah. a twenty-two-year-old in that draft at like pick six, like it feels like you're just falling into this trap of getting really excited about this guy in what is what most people think is a below-average draft. Which is why, like, out of those three, like. I th- I think I I would favor AJ Griffin even knowing mm-hmm. how streaky he has been in term production wise. Yeah, I think that's what I would do too. Just and also just because 
the wing is still such a premium in the league. And the Thunder don't have any wings, like true wings. They don't have any. Yeah. Any even if you're worried about his shot because he has like the super wide base, like at least there's something to start with. This he's isn't making like, him. Like he's making yeah, like he's hit I don't remember what the percentage is, but it's very he's hit a high percentage of his threes. And he's streaky, but also this Duke team has so many options that if he played for Arkansas or somebody like that, I don't like what would his production look like there? You know? And yeah. He is really young. He's younger than Shaden Sharp. AJ Griffin is. So, <laughs> That's wild. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's... Oh, he's, now I really like him. I know. He's two months younger than Shaden Sharp. So that's... He won't turn 19 until August. Yeah. He's, he's Josh Giddy Young. 48... Thank you, Tyler Nevins. 48% from three. Where you need a play finisher and a guy that can grow with this group. I mean, I, I don't know that that I would bet that that you could even get odds on Keegan Murray being the best player in this draft. I bet you could on A.J. Griffin. I bet you could. Because if he's already shooting like that, like what can he be? Now, there are injury concerns with A.J. Griffin, too, that mm-hmm. you have to consider. Um, but there's there's some interesting guys in this range, I guess is my point. There's some interesting guys, but I'd also just be like really down. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, just being honest, like I, I I already am not thrilled about this draft, and so to fall out of that range, like this isn't like last year where like everyone going in is like pumped about this draft. Yeah, and even if it felt like a four player or five player draft, like you still felt. Like people were talking about how deep it was, yeah. Even if they didn't feel like there were a ton of stars after that point, mm-hmm. whereas whereas this year, like man, if you fall out of whatever you think it is, top four, top five, mm-hmm. top six, I I don't know. I feel like you're just talking yourself into someone. Is it, this is a a year where the scouting matters tremendously? And yeah. like, I mean, we're gonna trust whatever Presty, whatever, whatever Presty does, yeah. and his team does in this draft. I would. I would very much trust because it's going to be about what work did you put in and how well do you know these guys? And I, yeah. I trust that they will know who these guys are and there will be a lot of teams that won't. I mean, it reminds I mean, if, me if they, if they pick Keegan Murray, like how would you not be excited? Because it's like, okay, if they believe yeah, in this guy who's exactly. older, and they're going against what they usually typically draft because yep. they typically draft super young guys, then they must feel like he has a chance to be a star. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't take him. Yeah. I think that this draft would probably be, and it's probably a little bit better at the top than the 2013 draft, but I think it will be similar in that you hit like 11 or 12, and it's like, I don't know who's going to be good out of this yeah. group. And the draft results showed that nobody knew. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr. went 24th in that draft where he should have gone in the lottery easily. Um, Rudy Gobert was in that draft. Andre Robertson, the Thunder took Andre Robertson at 26, and nobody knew what Andre Robertson was going to be. He ended up being a really good, helpful player for the Thunder. You know, people just didn't know. Shabazz Muhammad went 14th. <laughs> yeah. Michael Carter-Williams, 11. Trey Burke, 9. 
I mean, I th- I think it will be similar to that where we look back, you know, f- six or seven years from now and be like, holy crap. Like, look at, there's just nobody, yeah. nobody knew. Anthony Bennett went number one. Like, that was the obviously the weirdest one, but it's just like all over the place. People just didn't know. I just look at like um, Danny Morang, who does like the Blazers podcast out here. Like, yeah. He- obviously the Blazers are trying to tank (laughs) unsuccessfully (laughs) and he's been talking about, you know, he's a few tweets like watching uh, Benedict Mather. Is it Matherin? Matherin, I think is right. Okay. Um, And a few other guys in that range. And it's just like, those guys may turn out great, but like, that's not why you tank. Oh my gosh. You don't tank to draft someone like Benedict Matherin (laughs) or, or any of these guys that we're talking about. Like the reason you tank is to get the guys at the top who you feel like have not just star potential, but superstar potential. Yeah. And that's why, like, I'm not going to get excited about that question, like Keegan Murray, just because I don't. Yeah. That's not why you do this. We're, you don't do this to draft those types of players. This, that's exactly right. Those are the guys that I mentioned are all, they'll profile as role players. Like, guys. And, that, and maybe one of them busts out and becomes a star, and that's awesome. great. Yeah. And that, that, that would be really exciting. But you don't. Do you don't go through all of this <laughs> to end up at seven so you can take one of these guys? So I refuse to get excited about any yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's it's a failure just to be in that position. I agree. I agree. Yeah, you do all of this so you can draft Chet, Jabari, Apollo, or Jaden Ivey. If you got one of yeah. those four, I think that you are excited. You know, no matter which one it is. Just because the opinions on all four of them vary depending on who what expert you listen to. And like it's just crazy how many experts have different opinions on all these guys. Yeah. yeah. This draft in particular, you're going to see, especially with if you, if you look at mock drafts and somebody's going to do like a consensus mock draft and have like highest, mm-hmm. lowest, like some of these guys are going to have really wide ranges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting to see. I think those four are all, can all be kind of jumbled up, but like, Shaden Sharp will probably have a, a wide range if and when he enters the draft. You know, I don't think yeah. anybody knows what to do with him. I mean, and and there's still going to be like one of these guys that's now projected in like the late lottery or mid lottery is going to rise up. It happens every year. Yeah, we don't know who it's going to be, and it, and it, at least this year we have like a real tournament. Yeah, I mean we, we, had, we had a tournament last year, but yeah, you know it's yeah, yeah. just. We're going to have a tournament. You're getting the full cycle, so you're going to have some player like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember in the Donovan Mitchell draft, we were talking about him. Yeah, There was like a split second where it felt like, oh, he might fall to the Thunder's pick, and then like immediately it was like, okay, no chance. Yeah, so, yeah he was, he was McKellie and I's guy for a minute at 21, and then he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame. Uh, the Thunder play the San Antonio Spurs tonight. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is listed as questionable with right ankle soreness. So there we go. Good job, everybody. Uh, Lou Dort, Derek Favors, Josh Giddy, Ty Jerome, Mike Muscala, Jeremiah Robinson, and Kenneth Williams are all out. We are supposed to be getting an update on Josh Giddy in the next few days. I think tomorrow is like two weeks to the day. Mm. Um there's been no decision made on what they're going to do with him yet. So it'll be interesting to see what they've decided. And then we have gotten zero updates on Kenrich Williams, which just feels like a lever to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it almost feel weird if they brought him back 
at this point, but I actually have heard from somebody that they, they think he's coming back, but I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, and yeah. then the Spurs are missing Keita Bates Jop. Um, Romeo Langford, which I forgot he was on their team, is out with hamstr- a hamstring strain. Doug McDermott's out. Uh, a guy named DJ Stewart is on a two-way. And Robert Woodard is on the Spurs. He's another two-way player. Did you know that? Didn't know that. Did not know that. So yeah, there you the, go. The Spurs are so weird because – you could make an argument that they're one of the more disappointing teams this season. Like, if you just look at their point differential, they have a better point differential than the Clippers. Like, they're they're they've played in close games yeah. this entire year. Mm-hmm. But but then I saw in the Indiana game they rested Dejounte Murray. They so did. it's like, oh, so they don't they don't want to win. Like they they have a chance. Like you're only what is it? They're two games back of the Pelicans who have had all these issues. Brandon Ingram's out. Yeah. And CJ might now be coming back from COVID protocols. Like you're only two games back, and you're resting Dejounte Murray. Yeah. So like they're tanking, yeah. obviously. The game and a half what, back of of sixth and the reverse standings from Sacramento. So yeah. So I I, I find them very confusing because <laughs> I just assumed part of it was Pop's going for the all time wins, which he already got at this point. But right, I just thought. Well, they're never going to like truly tank. And when I saw that Indiana game, I was just like, "Hmm, I don't, I don't know what to think anymore." And they, with, which they lost. Like it was a very good game for them to lose if you are tanking. Yeah, because that's a team that you actually have a real kind of realistic shot. You're still three wins up on them. Yeah. So I don't know how realistic it is, but yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of confused by the Spurs in general. So we'll see what they do tonight because, like, good luck trying to tank against us. Yeah. Also, you guys play Portland twice. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. Like, all these teams trying to just just deciding to tank. I know. Like, get get with it. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. Wasting. What do you think's going to happen? I know. Portland is... They play them three times. They play Portland three times. <laughs> good luck winning one of those. Or I guess losing, losing one, yeah, which is winning. which is winning, yeah, losing is winning right now, yeah. Portland, the Thunder are up six and a half games on Portland now, which it's Dude. kind of amazing with the roster that they have right now. They've actually had a better Portland's had a better record over the last ten games than the Thunder have, which every every Portland win feels like ten wins for them. Like when they beat the Wizards, it's just <laughs> like know. what the hell are you doing? <laughs> And what what else could they have done? I mean, you read the names. Nothing. And it's like, what is... I mean, this is where Chauncey... It's like, I'm going to show my coaching chops now. But also, this is where, like... Oh, boy. I mean, we've talked about this with the Thunder. Like, there's no more levers to pull. Like, you, you reach a point where yeah. you do feel like, okay, we have done enough to lose. Yeah, we've done if it If the all. team wins, there's really nothing you can do about it. Yeah. When you're in a position like OKC, where they have 20 wins... A win here or there isn't going to kill you. But when you're yeah. in Portland's position, now at 26 wins, yep. like every win is just killing you. Yeah. And they still haven't even started that stretch, right. which we, we talked about earlier. And it's coming up. It starts uh, this Sunday. Very exciting. Indiana, Detroit, San Antonio, Houston, Houston, OKC, New Orleans, San Antonio, San Antonio, OKC, New Orleans. <laughs> Like even as terrible as they are, it's yeah. going to be hard to come out of that zero and eleven. It is. 
and that and if they win a few of those games, they could find themselves at like tenth or eleventh. They could. Like they, they could easily go two and nine. Like that's and that gets you up to twenty eight wins. And yeah. like now there's really no chance you're catching Indiana at that point. Yeah. Like you're probably not gonna be catching the, <laughs> the Kings, even though the Kings just won. Yeah, probably not. Because they're I think they're like four losses back of the Kings right now. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I, I would be pissed if I was a Portland fan because again, they had the same record as OKC on January first. Mm-hmm. This could have gone a lot of different ways, and they just blew it in January by not pulling levers soon enough. Yep, playing Nurk in way too long, mm-hmm. and now they're paying for it. And they could still jump up into this. I'll be moot, and oh, it's good for the Portland. They got the second pick or whatever. True, but true. It's just it's bad process to me. They took yeah. way too long to get here. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And the fact that they won so much after those trades too is like, oh boy. Yeah. What's what's wild is that <laughs> they're only two and a half games up on the Lakers. The Blazers are. Like that just <laughs> is unbelievable that the Lakers are ten games under five hundred. Dude, and you and you watch them and it's like, I don't know how many more games they're really gonna win. Because yeah. their their schedule, like they have some teams, like actually they have OKC. Yeah. Every other team, I'm looking over their their schedule is at least in the play. Oh, they, they play Washington. Every other team other than OKC and Washington is at least in the play in. And you're getting like Denver twice, Dallas, Utah, Golden State, Philly, Cleveland, Toronto, Minnesota. Oh my gosh! Like it's not out of the realm of possibility that they only go win like three or four games the rest of the season. Yeah. And they'll probably still stay in the play-in because nobody wants to be in the play-in in the West. Right. Other yeah. than New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Spurs, and I know they don't want to, but it's not like over <laughs> for them. It's not at all. And it, <laughs> and even even if they want it to be over, it may not be over because of their <laughs> schedule. <laughs> like, they may want this to be done. Yeah. But again, you have three games against Portland. If they just win those three games, you win those three, you put and they, your, and they put play Houston the again. Wow, and Houston's Houston's like all in on being the worst. Which, that would take them to them. if they won those four games. That'd take them to thirty wins. <laughs> Who cares what they do in the rest of the games? Like that's that's ter- that's why I almost feel like when you're the Spurs, and it's so hard for you to lose. Yeah. Like, why not just go for it? Yeah. You're so close. Yeah. I think I think I agree with that. That's crazy. Uh, all right. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of this, we're going to talk about some stats. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes 
and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we're back after that quick break. Alex, the Thunder are 2-8 and eight since the All-Star break. They rank 30th in defense, 28th in offense, 29th in net rating. They're minus 15.6, only to be outdone by the Portland Trail Blazers, who have a negative 23.2 net rating since the All-Star break. Alex, the Thunder before the All-Star break had a 51% true shooting. What do you think it is post-All-Star break? 51%? 51% true <laughs> shooting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, 45? 56% true shooting since the All-Star break, Al. Oh, so the, so the offense is humming. It's humming. They actually have like a 106 um, offensive rating since the break. Yeah. Um, I was going to run through some big team stats, and then we're going to go through some other stats uh, for specific players. But, Alex, in the restricted area, on the entire season, the Thunder are 59.6%. That's last in the NBA. Where do you think they rank post-All-Star break? So they were in 30th. Where did they rank post-All-Star break? What is this field goal percentage? Restrict in the restricted area. Oh, in the restricted area. Um, I bet they're I bet they're in the teens now. They're actually ninth in the NBA. Yeah, I was gonna say in the restricted area. I mean, I I did I did a deep dive on Bays and Poku, so I know yeah. that they've improved around the rim. Yeah, but also Trey Mann's finishing at the rim has started to come up. It's yeah. still not good, but it's not in the thirties anymore. Mm-hmm. And then when you have Shea. Yeah, you have Shea. Like, just making yeah, there, there's a lot of guys finishing at the rim. I mean, even Roby. Roby's been finishing at the rim, too, so yeah. that kind of makes sense. 67.6%. That's up from 59% in the restricted area. Kind of crazy. Okay. Uh, in the paint, non-restricted area shots, they were 12th in the league, 43%. What do you think they are post-All-Star break? They were 12th? Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would imagine that. Has that gone down? It's gone up, but they're still 12th in the oh, league. Okay. They went from 43% to 45%, so about the same. Uh, mm-hmm. In the mid-range, Al, they were t- ranked 20th on the season, 39.3% in the mid-range. What do you think they are in the mid-range post-All-Star break? Maybe top 10? They're number two in the NBA in the, in, the, in the mid-range post-All-Star break. They're shooting 52.4%. They jumped 13%. Who is that? Shea, baby. Who is it just Shea? Because I, I don't feel... I, actually, Poku has done some interesting things. He's had some pull-ups. Was yeah. Considered the short mid-range, but... Yeah. Um, hmm, okay. <laughs> it's wild. Uh, from the left corner... They are last in the NBA on the season, 32.2%. Where do you think they rank since the All-Star break? Top 15. <clears throat> they're 26th. They're actually Ooh, shooting worse from the left corner. They're 28.9% <laughs> from the corner, left corner. Uh, from the right corner, they rank 20th in the league on the season, 36%. Where do you think they are from the right corners post-All-Star break? The same. 28th, they're much, much worse. 23.7% from the right corners. They're just not hitting corner threes at all. I guess part of that is 
Dort is one of the best corner three shooters on the team. Yep. He, he's not playing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Kenrich, Muscala. I mean, Muscala takes a lot of like above the break threes, but he does. Th- those guys are good three point shooters. So mm-hmm. I don't even know who it is. I mean, one of the things I'll get into is that uh, Poku doesn't take very many corner threes, he does even not. though he's he's been good at them. So I guess that's a lot of Teo because he does take corner threes. It's a lot of Teo. Yeah, and and Bays, who even with his improvement has not his his corner three percentage has not improved in this little recent run. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean that's definitely a big chunk of the corner threes and then Trey Trey doesn't take a ton of corner threes, but he's not great from the corners either. And then like Veet who had like a nice shooting game too, is another guy that takes corner threes and is missing them right now. Uh, And then above the break thunder are last in the league at 30.9% on the season. What do you think they are since the all-star break? A little bit higher. A little bit higher, thirty four percent. They ranked twentieth since okay. the All Star break. So, I think a lot of that's Shea improving there. Also, Roby's hit some of his above the break threes too when he's played. So, all right, that's it. Those are my those are my uh, since the All Star break stats. I thought that was kind of interesting, especially the restricted area stuff where they just were horrible and now they're top ten. And and a lot of that, don't you think, has to do with we're just playing more offensive-minded players than we I, were previously. I also think everything is simplified. It's yeah, it's Shea, and he's going to create almost everything for everybody. Yeah, and it just makes everybody everybody has very simple jobs where before. Like they were still, even with guys like Baisley and Poku, and then you add Dort, and then you add Giddy, it's like, and Trey, it's like everybody's still trying to figure out who they are and how they're going to be used. And they still have a lot of room to spread their wings, which means we're going to screw up a lot. <laughs> like it's code four. Yeah. We're okay with screwing up. And, and, and this is happening across the league too. I mean, offensive. Like official, everything is up. The ex- it's been an explosion, and we do- I talked about it a little bit on Slam and Jam that like there's so many guys averaging 30 plus and then 25 yeah. plus after the break, where you know some something's happening out there where the it's just easier to play offensive basketball. Um, so I wanted I wanted to dive into Bays and Poku because. I, obviously, I mean we can still talk about Shea, but it feels like Shea's kind of reached this the level that he's at and he's been continuing to play that way. Yeah. I feel like Trey Mann has kind of reached whatever level he's at for this current rookie season. And Mm -hmm. he's continued to play that way. So it feels like the two guys who are really changing right now are, are Bays and Poku. Yeah. And so for Bays, you know, I, I, so I went on cleaning the glass and I had to choose some date to split this, which obviously it's arbitrary. I decided to choose January 28th, which isn't as far back as you might think, Mm -hmm. because you could go all the way back to like the middle of December when he started coming off the bench. But what's been interesting about this recent stretch is he's actually been starting, and we we talked for a long time, like, are his powers, do they only work when he comes off the bench? (laughs) But this recent stretch he's been having, most of it has been coming with him starting. Um, So I, I chose the 28th instead. Okay. 
so this is the so all, when I'm when I'm mentioning stats, these are all comparing pre-January 28th to post-January 28th. And just as a very basic thing, double-digit scoring games, pre-January 27th, 16 out of his 42 games. After that, 15 out of his 21 games. Okay. So it's it's happening a lot more often. Obviously, he's getting more playing time. Mm-hmm. He's taking he's taking two more shots per game. His points per shot attempt, which they just do total points. So this is like if you gave Bays 100 possessions mm-hmm. to take a shot, how many points would he score on those 100 possessions? Beginning of the season, 95.8, which is awful. Bad. That is the that is in the 12th percentile for his position group. He's now up to 107.9. Okay. Still not amazing, but he's in, he's in the 29th percentile. But just as a, like a, a general marker, things are improving. Yeah, respectable. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed just watching is, uh, and this shows on the stat, is his passing. The assist percentage is up. And it's not like a huge amount, but he's not, you're not looking at him as like a main playmaker on the team. So for him to jump from 7% assist percentage to 9.3%, which is going from the 27th percentile to 49th percentile, seems like a big deal. And where I think that shows up is you don't see as much anymore those plays where Bays gets the ball passed to him out beyond the three-point line. Mm -hmm. No one's rushing to close out on him because they're not worried about his shot. And he kind of just would stand there because he wasn't super confident in his own shot, so he didn't really want to take the three. And he would rather drive, but no one's closing out on him Mm -hmm. to attack the closeout. So you either get this like very delayed three, which usually would miss, or he would just go ahead and drive, even though the defender was like already sitting back and ready for him. You don't see those plays as much anymore. And there were multiple times in the Charlotte game where he get the he got the ball passed to him, immediately swung it to another player yes like and when he's getting the ball whether it's in the corner if he's not swinging it he is immediately shooting it yeah he's becoming much quicker with his decision making way more decisive on cuts on pass like everything and his just his like raw stats pre and post all-star break 9.8 points 6.6 rebounds 1.3 assists to 12 6 and 2 still only one block a game um and he's shooting a little bit better from three. He's twenty nine percent pre All Star break, thirty one percent post All Star break. And I think that's kind of what you were looking for because everything about Bays, and we had talked about this, like you could see him thinking on the court oh, all yeah. the time. Oh yeah. Whether it was on his drives where they were like so slow and herky jerky, like the defender was just kind of like sitting back and waiting for an opportunity to like screw up his drive. <laughs> like they were they were never really surprised by what Bayes was doing. Right. Or like when he was take those threes and he would just be sitting there thinking for like a, a legitimate two seconds and then would decide to shoot it. Like everything had so much thought behind it, whereas now it feels like he's just way more reactive. He knows what he should be doing, mm-hmm. and he's actually doing those things. He's not having to think about it. It's coming more natural. And I yeah. think that more than any of these stats, I mean, I feel like some of this is showing up in the stats, but that more than anything else makes you excited because yeah. that's something that is bigger than him just getting hot from three for a short little stretch. Yeah. Uh, Baisley's actually been like, kind of great like post game. And I was just asking him what it's, what has it been like essentially to be a, a Thunder player these last few years, and how do they? What's he's, you've developed a lot since he got here. He's like this blank slate of a player when he got here to 
what he's doing today, which is like he's improved. He's not like some like awesome player or anything, but he's gotten he's become a functional NBA player. And I've just asked him what what that process has been like, and he said that they essentially prepare and lay out everything for you from the meals you eat to your fitness plan to um, everything. He said the the organization sets you up to be the most successful player you could be. He's like, all you have to do is show up and be ready to work. And he said that he feels like they set up like the perfect environment for guys to do that. And, you know, he said, then it's kind of up to you on whether you get there or not. And he is like fully willing to admit that he's like way far away from what he should be or wants to be. But I thought that was interesting. Another stat that kind of goes along with this idea of Baisley just playing more within the offense, reacting more rather than thinking is his assisted percentage at the rim. So this means of his field goal attempts at the rim, how many of those are assisted? Yeah. Do the, those come from a pass from another player? Mm-hmm. Pre-January 28th, 59%. That's gone up to 71%. Yeah. And that's huge because that that 59% being low, that that's accounting for like all of those beige drives mm-hmm. at the beginning of the of the year where he's starting out the three-point line and he's driving to the rim. It's usually not going to work out. It's an unassisted attempt. He's like doing so many other things with the ball that he shouldn't be. Yeah. To now where he's cutting a lot more. And so you're getting more of those assists when he is having an attempt at the rim. And he still has his drives. But I, I do feel like the drives are getting more compact, more like he, he knows what he wants to do more. Yes. On on those drives than previously. Like even that he had that really nice drive against Charlotte where he drove at Mason Plumley, went under the rim into like the underhanded layup. Yep. Um or the reverse layup. I thought that was really nice. And because it was very it made sense from beginning to end. Yep. Like Plumley was there, so he made a quick decision to go around underneath the hoop. Mm-hmm. That's the type of stuff that gets you excited as opposed to when he does like all this herky-jerky stuff and maybe he makes it, but that's not really exciting because like nothing about that feels reproducible. Like yeah. it feels like all of his drives were something wildly different every single time. Yeah. It seems like he just has more focus on his drives right now. Yeah, he's he's starting to simplify things, which has needed to happen for a while, but you know, you don't you don't see him, and he still he did it once in the Charlotte game, but there's most of the time you don't see him like trying to cook somebody. Like he's just quick, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's important to point out it's not like he's perfect because he did like he had a drive where he drove in to the Hornets and they just like slapped the ball away from him like very yeah. easily. Yeah, and it was one of those plays, and, and maybe it's as much as like him facing the basket versus like coming off of a pass from the wing. Mm-hmm. I feel like when he's at the top of the key. And starts driving towards the basket, like it's not probably not going to end up good. <laughs> but when he's cutting or he's coming in from the side, it, it just seems like those angles work better for him. Yeah, like just like the alley oop play from Shea. That yeah, for sure. It happened. It happened to coincide with Michael Cage talking about how Montrez Harrell was Shaq, <laughs> which is yeah, just funny. such a funny. Like the whole clip is funny, but the fact. I mean, I don't. I don't remember a ton of lob plays and he should be a guy that you have lob plays for, but I don't, I mean, I can't think of a ton of other times that, that he's 
been a guy that's made the right cut for a lob. You know, that's just not. Yeah, he he, not he it. should be the most obvious lob candidate. Yeah, without a doubt, and it's just also really funny. Shay like did this like right in front of us at the game, but he still like finds joy within this like horrific losing streak that they're in, you know, in moments like that where he's like doing these like little bunny hops after he knows that yeah, <laughs> somebody's going to do something good. So, I thought that was kind of cool. So, if you look at his shooting accuracy, and by the way, this is all from cleaning glass, so they're filtering out garbage time, which probably is significant for the Thunder. Um, <laughs> at the at the rim, shot fifty four percent pre January twenty eighth, up to sixty three percent. Corner threes has not changed. He's yeah. still not a good corner three point shooter. Thirty one percent versus thirty yeah. percent, where all of the gains are being made right now in terms of three point shooting is above the break threes. Yeah, twenty five percent pre split, thirty eight percent post-split interesting and that's the part where like i don't believe it yet (laughs) like it's great that it's happening but i don't believe it because if you look at his free throw shooting like he's still shooting below 70 percent yeah he's even in this good stretch he's shooting 68 percent. so like that's the part that he needs to like convince me that like he's actually becoming a shooter because him just randomly shooting better on above the break threes, but not seeing his corner threes improve at all. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, his free throw shooting isn't improving at all. That's that feels like just an outlier yeah. right now. And his role is going to be corner threes if he's gonna make it right. in the league. He's gotta you gotta hit those corner threes. Like that's what you need from this like versatile, you know, big man is is essentially what he's gonna be for his career. It's like you gotta the corner is is where you're gonna make your money. And where this all worries me is his mechanics still feels still looks so slow. Mm-hmm. Like even when he gets past, and I say that he shoots it immediately, it's still like this isn't Anthony Moore out there, just like quick firing. Mm-hmm. Like it takes him a second to get the ball and shoot it, yeah. which works right now because no one is ever closing out on him. Yeah, which is a problem. Which is which which means that he's getting like all these wide open threes. He can take his time, and he's still not like doing well on those corner threes. So for him to get better, it's not just him shooting better from the corners. It's okay. Once you're shooting better from the corners, like let's say in a dream world, he got up to 40% from corner threes. He's eventually going to start getting guarded. So now it's like, okay, can you do that when you're getting contested? Right. Because like, there's still so far to go for me on his three point shooting that like him shooting 38% on this recent stretch above the break. Isn't really that exciting. It's good. You want you want to start seeing that improvement, but there's so many caveats there. Is his defense valuable enough to you to keep him around as like a as your like fourth big? Um, I I guess if you if you surrounded him with the right piece, <laughs> talking about surrounding bays, we got to build around <laughs> bays. But but if if he was surrounded with complementary pieces. Where even if he doesn't become a good shooter, yeah, you you can still function offensively. Then yeah, I think it's, I think it's fine. I mean, uh, the the thing I was about to bring up, so his block percentage and foul percentage. So mm-hmm. you, you obviously want block percentage to be high. You want foul percentage to be low. He is in the 90th percentile for the season in both of those. Yeah, that is very rare. There are only three other players in the league who are in the 90th percentile. And again, this is yeah. per position. So Bays gets. Right. I think he. He's either a wing or a big, but 
but he gets put with that, those groups of players. So this the percentile is related to them. Yeah. The only other three who are 90th percentile in both block and foul percentage, which means these guys are getting a ton of blocks but not fouling when they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis makes sense. Yeah. Andre Iguodala makes sense. Jeremy Lamb. That's weird. Doesn't make sense. I don't believe that. I mean, may, maybe makes sense. I don't, I don't really have a strong, I haven't had a strong opinion on Jeremy Lamb, Lamb in uh, many years. But you maybe know, that just doesn't foul. You know, is part yeah, of he that. doesn't he doesn't foul, and he's obviously developed into a pretty nice shot blocker. Now he's come down a little bit from earlier in the season where he was blocking everything. Yeah, but that's still a strength of his game on defense. So yeah. that that's just like a Bay's overview. You know, I. I think that as with all of these players, you have to put it in the context of what part of the season we're in. Um, you know, this is this is the tanking season. Yeah. And you don't want to take too much away yeah, from this time don't. of the season. Yeah. But there are still things, even going back further than January twenty eighth, that make you feel like Bayes is starting to figure some things out. And and arguably a lot of those things are more eye test than they are stats. Like I, I really do think that the biggest stat is that assisted percentage at the rim the fact that he's taking less of these iso possessions and he's he's finishing plays more from others yeah i totally agree with that if you're as obsessed with basketball as i am then you know there's no better time of year than the nba playoffs hey guys this is jj redding twice a week i'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast the old man and the three I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, if you could lock Baisley up with a singular special today, would you do it? Wasn't that five years? Five years, $25 million. Well, I, I, no, I don't think you need to know. Okay. <laughs> five I don't think any. What about? I mean, I, what about what about three years? How about four years with a team option on the last year? So th- three plus one, mm-hmm. five million a year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. I don't think that's a positive contract now. Like if if you're looking to <laughs> trade it, like I think it's because yeah. because like when you have a guy like Bays who we, we've said a lot of nice things about him. But on the other hand, like every team across the league has guys like this 
that are mm-hmm. like still figuring out, but you're seeing flashes. Yeah. Like it's it's rare for those guys to become values on their next contract, even if it feels like a small contract. Like who who wants to commit three more years other than us who have watched Bays like for the last three years. Who wants to commit three years to Darius Baisley right now? Yeah, I don't really want to do it. Um, and that it yeah, depends on who we get I, like, in the draft too. You know it does. But I do I do see value in him as a versatile defender off the bench, as a guy that when you want to go small you know, when he's 25 or 26 and bulked up a little bit, I mean, like, that could be a kind of an interesting guy to just have coming off your bench, you know, for a good team that, like, in a give me a 10 minute stretch where you're going to defend, you know, we're going to switch everything, you know, yeah, kind of deal. Like, I could, I could see it. However, it, he's got to be someone that hits a corner three. And he's got to play with a little bit more toughness on the defensive end because, like, you think of him as like a not in as big a role as PJ Tucker was, but in that kind of role, but like off the bench for 15 minutes, you know, where it's just like, hey, you're going to come in, you're going to defend like a dog, and you're going to hit corner threes. And okay, like, there's a role for a guy like that in the league, uh, especially in like five million is a lot less today than it was back when they signed singular i mean it'd be like sure. yeah eight to ten million today probably closer yeah to 8 it's million. it's it's not a bad deal at all it's just i i feel like we're kind of anchoring ourselves to Bayes because he's already part of the team Something we already we know, know who he is yeah 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 like it's entirely possible that there's another player they could get that is definitely better than Bayes for five million a year and we're just not thinking about it because we're so focused on this team. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do worry about that sometimes when we're thinking about these players. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they have Jeremiah that we just don't talk about because we haven't seen him play because he's been hurt. Right. But yeah. like, why wouldn't it just be him? And if they, let's, I mean, they could draft Chet Holmgren and Jalen Duran in this next draft. And you're like, oh, well, nope, no extension for Baisley. You yeah, know, like that. Yeah. That could happen. So, and I don't. I don't. I also don't know if like Bays would take that deal as an extension. Like being being a, a clutch <sighs> client. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. He seems to like it here, but again, I don't know. I don't know what Clutch wants for him. I don't know if Clutch cares that much <laughs> about Darius in the long he's run. In, he's in commercials, Andrew. <sighs> He is his star is shining bright. Okay, let's go to Poku, who has a very clear place to split his season. Yeah, which is when he came back from the G League. Yep, it's been 16 games. Prior to that, he had played 36 games. Again, just as an overall marker, double-digit games. He had three double-digit games in those first 36 games. He's had double digits in 12 of his last 16 games. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh that's pretty cool. Uh points per shot attempt. This is so funny to me. 36 games, first 36 games, 82.7. Oh you give my. you give Poku 100 shooting possessions, he's going to score 82.7 points, is which so is scary. in the first first percentile. First 
which is just you want a, to be in 99th percentile. He that, was in the first. It's a ticket. You cannot be worse. It's a ticket back to Europe, is what that is. And that's why, you know, I, I was saying like, is he going to get his option declined? Yeah. Because if he had stayed in the first percentile, like that, that's as bad as it can get. Now he is now up to 109.9, which is 21st percentile. Still not amazing. But again, one of the things with Poku to keep in mind is he gets lumped in with bigs. So, like, bigs tend to be more efficient as scorers. So his percentile numbers are going to tend to be lower for certain things like that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because guys are hitting, like, 60% of their shots. Yeah, yeah. So just something to keep in mind. That is a huge improvement, obviously. Uh, Huge, yeah. He's assisting more, assist percentage is up, turnovers down. That combination, I think, is really good. Yeah. The fact that he went from 11.6 assist percentage to 13.7. Meanwhile, his turnovers went from 16. He was turning the ball over on 16.4% of his possessions. That's now down to 13.4, which is you're going from the 24th percentile to the 45th percentile. So that's, that's a big improvement. Yeah. His effective field goal percentage, which takes into account the extra point you get from threes, 41.4%, which was the second percentile. It wasn't worst in the league, second percentile. Now up to 53.6. We know we, he's had a huge improvement in three-point percentage, 23% to 35%. Yeah. The free throws, which he just wasn't shooting free throws in general. Still does across Across all of these, but it's very funny, the difference. He went from 41.7%, which is the first percentile, to 82.4%. But again, this is like super low. Yeah, similar you, to Bayes. I was going to ask you. I asked Joe Masato this question yesterday. But do you know how many free throws, total free throws, he's taken this season? Uh, and so fi- he's played. He's played fifty-two I, games. I would guess it's like sixty-five. He's taken thirty-one. Okay, it was lower, a lot lower than I thought. He last season in forty-five games. How many free throws do you think he took? 45 games mm-hmm. uh 20 42 he's actually oh. taken more free throws this season than last season or last season than this season i mean which is kind of mind-blowing because it fe- he feels more normal this year <laughs> but he does although and we'll actually so i'll, I'll get to it right now his shot profile like yeah. what has changed from the beginning of the season it's not around the rim. He's taking the same percentage of his shots around the rim. Mm -hmm. It's his threes, which all come from non-corner threes. He's taking the same percentage of corner threes. It's that his threes in general have dropped off, and those have changed into short mid-range, which short mid-range is defined as 4 to 14 feet from the basket on cleaning the glass. Mm -hmm. They've gone from 18% of his shots to 30% of his shots. I don't necessarily know this is a great thing, because I think it says more about like his inability to get to the rim, which is where you typically would be fouled, yeah. or, or his unwillingness to go to the rim. Be- and, and that comes back to like the strength question and like his ability to challenge guys at the rim. Like He doesn't really do that. No. He, he is not someone who seeks out contact. And I think that increase in his short mid-range shots is kind of indicative of that. Yeah. Like He's stopping short of the basket and trying to get a shot there instead of challenging someone at the rim. Yeah, he actively avoids contact on both ends. And I to his credit on the mid-range, though, he's got that pull-up in his bag. And I think that is going to be a weapon for him 
it looks pretty smooth. So I'm, I don't hate, well, I don't hate that that much. So if you look at accuracy at the rim, he's gone from shooting sixty percent to seventy percent. Mm-hmm. Very nice, very good. Short mid range, which is that area we just talked about, he went from thirty five percent to forty four percent. Yeah, which like, whatever, like solid. Yeah, it's for, for for what he's doing right now, and the fact that he's taking like a decent number of shots there. Again, I don't know if that's where you really want him taking thirty percent of his shots. Yeah, but he's at least improved there. It's not like he's clanking it every single time. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing, this is similar to Bay's. He's getting assisted way more on his finishes. So similar to Bay's, take doing less of these like Poku drives, Poku isos mm-hmm. that are very fun, no doubt. He had a funny one against Charlotte where he ended up on the ground when he tried to drive on someone. But so at the rim, when he when he scores at the rim, he's assisted now on 55% of those attempts versus 43% previously. Yeah. In the mid-range, he's assisted on 71% of those attempts versus 60% previously. And now from three, he's assisted on 100% of his three-point attempts versus 89% previously. So no matter where he is on the court, He's playing more within the flow of the offense. We're seeing less alpha Poku, which, you know, you kind of miss that a little bit. But I don't know. It, it, it just speaks to me of a player who's learning how to play basketball on a team as opposed to whatever he was doing last year, which was exciting. Yeah. Because, because the ceiling of that player felt like, you know, there was no ceiling, Andrew. That's right. Because this, this could be, what if he's a number one guy? To quote the great Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof. I don't necessarily feel that way about Poku anymore, <laughs> but I feel way more hopeful about just his future as an NBA player because yeah. he's he seems to be learning how to play, and maybe that will come later. You know, maybe his you know point Poku Alpha Poku maybe that comes later. Yeah, I mean, we just need to establish that he's at, that he at least belongs first before we, we yeah. Which I would say over this recent stretch, so this is, again, 16 games. We talked about caveats with just being like the tanking season. Yeah. 11, 6, and 2 on 47, 35, 82 shooting splits. It just has a very basic across the board. Like, that's solid. Everything there, you're feeling good about for this player. Yeah. I mean, pre-All-Star break for him, five points, four rebounds, one assist. On 38% from the field, 27% from three. Yeah, and even more than like the, the counting stats, it was those percentages. It was like if, if, if oh. he cannot be a, just a 35% three-point shooter, like none of this really matters. Or even, I mean, you can't, you can't shoot less than 40% from the field. Right. You know, you just can't, you just can't do that and last <laughs> in the league. And that's, that's also like to bring up Trey, like Trey's, Hit, everything looks awesome all the time with Trey, no matter if he's making or missing. Like it always looks good, but he's got to start making his shots because he's shooting worse than Poku on the season. Like he's got to, he's got to start making shots. And I speaking know, of like, people are really high on him, but and for good reason. Like he's had good games and he's a good player and he's like a, a more easily projectable player because of the style that he plays. But man, he's got to start making shots. Did you see uh, Jackson Frank wrote a Trey Man article today? I have not seen it. it. It's basically like what we talked about, like 
going back a month now, the idea of like, you really do have to watch them because if you just look at the stats, there's nothing that's going to pop off the screen at you. Yeah. I mean, you look Um, at his pre and post all-star break, eight points, two rebounds, one assist pre, and he's shooting 36% pre all-star break post all-star break. He's 13, four and almost 13, four and four, which is like, Oh, that's pretty good. But he's only shooting 28% from three. Uh, Yeah. Which he's just, again, like, if he wants to be the guy that everybody on Thunder Twitter says he is, like he just you got to make your shots. But at the same time, like we obviously gave Bays and Dort like a lot of time. Like, yeah, we watched, I'm not them, saying we watched them clank a ton of threes. Yeah, and for for Trey, like you know, he didn't really play at the beginning of the season, so this is really the beginning of his rookie year. Still, I mean, mm-hmm. we're still however many games into this, mm-hmm. so. I agree. Like you watch him and you can only say it looks good. Like the process looks good so much before he eventually does have to start finishing these. And frankly, I feel way more confident about his three point shot than him finishing at the rim. Yeah. Because I, I still think he's trying to, he's trying to figure out how he should finish at the rim. Mm -hmm. He'll have plays where like this is hyperbole, but like he'll have like a Kyrie esque move at the rim with with a really crafty finish and you'll be like oh okay that was really nice yeah and then the next play down he'll have he'll try something else and it just like won't go well at all yes so so he has to he he's still working on figuring out like how do i finish at the rim Mm -hmm. because he i think he has the craft yeah he does He has the ability yeah it's just he's trying so many different things drive to drive on how to finish yeah well i mean i just think like with the it's the same thing that all the guys from last season, like last season's rookies, like he's going to, he and like Jeremiah and guys like that are going to face it in the next couple of years too, because they don't have so many draft picks. It's like your position or your future with the thunder is not secure. You know, and I know right. a lot of people would think like, Oh man, yeah, Trey Mann's going to be on the, on this team in five years and he's going to be really great. Your future is not secure here. You have to be good. And that's the one thing that's kind of cool about this process with the Thunder is like, if you're going to make it, you have to be good because there's somebody next season coming for coming for you. And that happened with Teo. You know, Teo's position, he's pretty much out because of the way that Trey's played. But Trey hasn't played so well that it's like, okay, like Trey man, future Thunder six man or future Thunder whatever. You know, like it's not secure. It's really not. And I would say the difference, because obviously we, we've had to evaluate like a ton of these guys. I mean, I, th- I think about comparing him to Bays. The the difference for me with Trey right now is that the flashes are equally about the end result as they are about the process. Yeah, like you see the skill with Trey, where a lot of times early on with Bays, you know, it's like he makes a corner three, and you're like. Or I'll have a game where he makes two corner threes, and you're like, "Oh, if he if he could hit a corner three, like, yeah, the, the sky's the limit for Bays." Yeah, but it was always just like, "Oh, he would have a good game shooting or something, or he would have like a really nice dunk or something like that." Where I mm-hmm. feel like with Trey, it's not just when he has a step back and makes it; it's like, "Wow, look at the space he created on that." Oh yeah, he can get to that whenever he wants. Yep, he can get by guys whenever he wants. Like, yes, we need to see the finished product. But the process is like the, the like the foundation is already there. Mm-hmm. He just needs to obviously finish all of these things off. Yeah, it's yeah. There's not moments with Trey that you have with 
Basley or even with Poku where like you know that when something is getting started for Basley or Poku at times, you're just like, oh no, like here we go. Like I, I know what's going to happen. Like I already know where this is headed. And with Trey, every, like I said, everything looks good. Everything is smooth. Everything is like high level, you know, some, but sometimes he'll have like the all-star start to his play with the like G League finish, you know? Yeah. He, he, he like knows what he wants to do. It doesn't feel like experimentation with Trey as much Yeah, in the way that it often feels like experimenting with Poku or Baze. Yeah. Like they're just trying stuff. (laughs) Whereas it feels like Trey already knows what he wants to do. Yeah. He's, just seeing if he can pull it off. Yeah, and Mark talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago or a week ago. I can't remember when this was, but he said, like, what you see Trey doing, that's, he said, we're not developing that. He said, that's why we drafted him. We drafted him because he does these things. The things that we're trying to develop are defensive habits, intensity on both ends. Like those are the things that we're working to develop. We're working to develop like good habits with him. But the reason we drafted him is because he can create space and he can shoot the three and he can, you know, get to wherever he wants with his dribble. Like those are the reasons we drafted him. We like, we, we actually can't really develop those things. (laughs) You know, like we can't, we can't make a player like that. You know, if we could, then we would just be calling guys up from the G league and paying them nothing and teaching them how to do it. But like, those are the reasons that you draft those guys. And a, a sentence from Jackson Frank's article today that basically sums it up. He says a lot of what he sees talking about man, a lot of what man sees and how he moves feels inherent as opposed to acquired. Yeah. Like this is those aspects of Trey man's game are something that he has had probably going back to being a kid mm-hmm. playing basketball. They are not something that he has like learned suddenly in the NBA. Right. And, yeah. and that's, what's exciting because mm-hmm. some of those things are already elite level. But they're not scoring the they're like they're not scoring the basket. Like, but the moves themselves, like getting that space is elite. Yeah. That is an elite skill. Now, if you don't, if you never finish it, it doesn't end up mattering. Yeah. But that's what gets you so excited. Yeah. And Trey even said that the this was maybe a month ago. I asked Trey, like, what do you like how when did you start doing the step back? Like, where did that come from? And he like sat there for a second. He's like He's like, I guess I've just kind of always had it. He's like, I've always done this. Yeah. It was not something that I started in high school or something. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening to our show today. Hope you guys have a great, great Wednesday. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in on the stream. If, uh, if you aren't subscribed to our YouTube channel, you should go do that. Just go to YouTube.com. Search down to dunk. Hit the subscribe button. If you hit the little bell, you'll get a notification when we go live. And you can join us. We have Jake Arndt. We have Chathamus33, Dude Buffet, Hoopstock69, Andrew Hoyt, Jay, Alex Sayer, Bradley Watkins, Spencer Smith is here, Grape Ape, uh, David the Fluky. He's from Germany. He says, Guten Tag from Germany. Uh, Tyler Nevins is here. Chris Smith. Tyler Field says, what's up, y'all? Let's see who else joined the chat. Uh, Professor Oak is here. Um, We have Anchovies86. 
I'm Michael is here. Uh, Josh Smalley from Ethiopia is here. Wow. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. P.T. Quillen is here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in on YouTube. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast, and we will talk to you guys again on Friday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.